Happy Friday. It's time for the Richard Skipper Friday Wrap-Up Show. Who and what are you celebrating today? Richard Skipper believes every day is worth celebrating. But today, we wrap up the week with a dose of positivity. You never know who might show up or what might happen. So get ready. Your skipper is now coming on board, and we are ready to set sail. All aboard. Happy Friday. Happy whatever it is that you're celebrating. And I have a lot to celebrate. It's National Book Blitz Month, and I am surrounded by books. I love books. As a matter of fact, my husband, Danny, he was up till 2 o'clock this morning putting new bookshelves in my office because I am overrun with books. Books are arriving every single day. Those of you who follow this show know that over the past uh, three years that I've been doing this because of COVID, I have had the great pleasure of celebrating so many incredible authors and their books on this show. I want to give you just a sampling of just a few of the authors that we have celebrated over the past three years as we get ready to celebrate three more today. Here they are. Enjoy. And Nancy Edwards is here today. Nancy is an author who has an incredible book out. I have been reading about this book. It is on its way. Thank you, Amazon. Not <laughs> one, not even one, a memoir of life-altering experiences in Sierra Leone, West Africa. First of all, welcome to the show. Thank and you. I want to begin by asking, because this is Richard Skipper Celebrates, <laughs> who or what are you celebrating today? Oh, well, I'm always celebrating my young grandson, who's almost three years old, and we had a good day of playtime yesterday, uh, celebrating good health, uh, celebrating being on your show. And, well, thank uh, you for that. And I have to ask you, um, do you read to him? I mean, is he getting to enjoy books at this young age? He is, actually, and it's a lot of fun. Um, of course, he gets to pick out the book, so it might not be what I would choose. <laughs> My favorite one now is about colors because he's uh, learning all the colors. So I find it a bit boring, but I try to read with enthusiasm. Well, that's great. Well, first of all, I want to talk about your book, obviously. Uh, we have three amazing guests on the show today. Uh, I want to let's start with your title. Yes. How did you come up with the title? And if you can give us a little background on why this title. Absolutely. Well, the not one, not even one part is what I'll explain. And actually, there's a poem at the beginning of the book that outlines the story behind it. But in brief, um, this was an older woman that I met at a clinic we held in Sierra Leone. We were in a very rural area. And although the clinic was for pregnant women, and she was well beyond uh, that period of time in her life, she was determined to see her public health team. And she wanted to explain to us that she had had 12 children and none of them were alive. She had lost most of them before the age of five years. Uh, and that, unfortunately, was a much too common story that we heard. But what she said to me was, not one, not even one child lives. And that just has always stuck with me. Uh, and it seemed a, a suitable name for the poem. So some of this, I hope, is giving her voice uh, through, the, through the memoir. Now, 
according to the notes that I've read, you wrote this book uh, mostly during COVID or was COVID the impetus for you writing the book or was this something that had been mulling around in your head for quite some time? No, I've been thinking about it for a while. I wrote a number of short stories about my experiences in Sierra Leone for my family about 10 years ago now. They were always saying to me, you know, you don't tell us very much about what happened there and we'd like to know more. So I actually did that for Christmas one year. Uh, and then when I retired a few years ago, I thought, well, maybe a memoir is something that I'd like to try and write. Uh, and then COVID, I think, just gave it sort of more momentum. Um, I had more time to write and nothing else to do, really. <laughs> so staying in the house. So it glued me to the chair. So it probably got the project done faster. Uh, but I think I would have written it anyhow. Now, you already told us about your uh, grandson. Uh, do you live alone or do you have a husband with you or a partner? Um, I asked this question. There's a reason for my questioning in a moment, you'll know. Uh, but I asked this because what is your process? Uh, obviously, uh, did you keep journals when you were in West Africa or is it since memory that you're going on? Well, I do live alone. Uh, my grandson lives lives nearby. Um, my partner and I are no longer together. Uh, but my process really was, um, first of all, starting with all the journals that I did keep. And some of them were very detailed, uh, especially when I was doing some evaluation and research in the country. I was keeping more detailed journals than partly to vent some of the challenges I was experiencing day to day. Um, when I was there in the country, I was there for five years. In the early days, the work was quite daunting. And I often had at least two jobs because of people having to unexpectedly return home suddenly. So I didn't keep as many journals then, but I did write letters home very often. However, I was disappointed when I went back and read them and saw how little I actually disclosed. Um, but I also had a lot of materials that I collected in the country over time. So it's a combination of actually photographs that jogged my memory, audio tapes I kept of singing and dancing and, and so on. Um, now, that's something I want to talk about, because you did mention in your notes to me uh, yeah. that, uh, especially for our audiences that follow the entertainment world, yes. uh, about the singing and the dancing in uh, these villages. Uh, and it was very much a part of their lifestyle. Absolutely. And it was it was fabulous. It was uh, you, you just would feel the vibe and uh, everybody was a really good dancer that I met in the country. Um, we started doing health education where they would sing and dance as we came into the village to do a drama um, and everybody would come out for it because it was really the only form of entertainment that was there. Um, and the singing uh, was done with usually a lead singer and then everybody would uh, join in the chorus and they'd set up a conga line often and, and wander through the village uh, and they'd celebrate uh, key events, whether that be um, marriages or funerals or uh, harvest season, uh, initiation of girls and boys uh, into the societies uh, and births in particular. Uh, and the traditional birth attendants had many songs that they sung as part of um, their midwifery practice. What surprised you the most about yourself in terms of writing this book? What did you learn about yourself going back? Uh, obviously, as I said earlier, you're relying on two methods, mm -hmm. sense memory mm -hmm. and the journals that you kept at the time that you were actually living it. Yes, that's a great question. Um, I think one of the things I would say is just sort of how deeply embedded and vivid the memories still were, because some of these were things I hadn't really 
thought about, you know, in day-to-day living, being back in Canada for a number of years. And it was like a, almost a, a switch that would flick in my brain. And it was like I was back in the moment um, as I wrote about it uh, and reflecting uh, in different ways now, I suppose, than mm-hmm. the way I reflected on it at the time with maturity and other experiences and so on. Um, and the emotions that just welled up in me as I wrote some of it, I think, surprised me. But I knew I was getting closer to what I needed to write when that happened, as opposed to my academic writing where you, you know, you're take yourself out of it. <laughs> now, no you put yourself into it. <laughs> how long has it been since the book has actually been completed and is on the bookshelves and now is available for us to purchase? It was published in February of last year, 2022. Um, if I'm not mistaken, it was uh, published on February 11th. That's right. That's my birthday. Oh, no kidding. There's a connection. Well, there we go. And, and hopefully some other connections too. Yes, yes, yes. So are you, is there, are there other books uh, in your future that you're writing or uh, do you have something that you're currently working on? Oh, I, I have some other ideas and I've started to do a bit of writing about some of my other travel experiences. But my main focus right now is actually shifting into learning how to convert some of the stories in the book to oral storytelling and the way you tell them well as oral stories is not the same way that you write them and read them Uh, and my hope is actually to develop a play so I'm in the process of figuring out how to do that now so that's a whole new uh, type of writing for me but Uh, yesterday I had Ronald Brand on the show he has a book called Solo Transformation Uh and it's all about uh, solo acting and uh, whether this be, uh, be a solo play or beyond I I Highly recommend his book. Thank uh, you. I'll look for that one. So um, before we bring our next guest on, mm-hmm. I always have a mystery question just for yes. fun. Uh, <laughs> so you get to pull the number one through three. Okay, I'll, I'll take three. And the question is, what's the first music that you bought? I'm going to change this. What's the first book that you remember ever buying? Ever buying myself? Oh, yeah. my goodness. Oh, I've always been such a big public library user. Um, I'm maybe describing a book that I got from a public library instead. Uh, I think it would have been a book about Newfoundland, actually, because I lived and worked there for a number of years. And maybe one of Farley Mowat's books. Wow. Well, we're going to bring our next guest on. Uh, Thank you. And stick around. Um, uh, Dr. Nicholas Kodaris uh, has written, uh, first of all, uh, he wrote a book called Glow Kids. And this is a follow-up to that digital madness. Uh, I can't wait to sit down and talk with him because I have not been able to put this book down. Those of you who follow me know that I have taken a break from Facebook. And I left Facebook on December 1st. And I'm not missing it. Uh, I do pop in one day a month just to expand my audience with this platform. Uh, And that's it. That's my only connection with it now. Uh, There are so many questions that I have for you. Uh, But first of all, welcome to the show. Uh, Meet Nancy. And uh, as I begin with you, you, um, I'd like to begin by asking who or what are you celebrating today? Um, By the way, Richard, thank you for having me on the show. And it's a honor to be here with uh, 
everybody else. Um, I guess I'm celebrating health. We've had some uh, family health challenges this year, so we're particularly, I'm particularly, my family's particularly appreciative of uh, going through a better period. So health, I think, is first and foremost right now. Well, do you mind if I go there for a moment? Sure. Your book opens, you know, you were writing this book uh, during COVID. Uh, Mm -hmm. Your father passes away. This is very early on, um, you know, as your book is beginning. But I love the fact that you're bridging the past with the present and how I think back to a time. And and as I was reading about your own father, uh, I was thinking about the times being with my grandparents, my own parents, those times where we weren't constantly looking at our phones, we weren't constantly reaching out to see what was happening on social media and everything. What was it originally that, and of course you dig so deeply into how this is affecting the psyche of this country. And I see it daily. And as I'm reading these things, I'm going, aha, that's what I've been saying. (laughs) So, uh, what was it that compelled you, if you, if uh, for lack of a better word, to sit down and let's start with Glow Kids to write that book? Yeah. I was just going to say, uh, you know, polarizing social media in this country, what can go wrong? Um, <laughs> and thank you for bringing up the issue with my father. You know, that really helped provide some really crystallized issue. As you said, you know, my father was essentially became an anachronism, a stranger in a strange land Mm -hmm. in this increasingly digitized world. And my trips to visit him as he was dying of very painful bone cancer right before Mm -hmm. COVID, like three, four months right before COVID hit, um, I would fly there from Austin to New York to visit him. And um, our conversations were just um, a snapshot of a the way things used to be uh, in the way that was very, very different. And it just brought up for me the way that we've forgotten old wisdom um, mm-hmm. in this information age, we've lost our wisdom. And uh, I think that's part of it. We have a lot of data, not a lot of real uh, more meaningful insight. Um, what led me to write glow kids in 2016 was I'm a frontline clinician. I was a professor and also a, a clinician treating young people. And I had eyes you know, I had the ability to look around and say that something different was happening. My my professional background was also mental health, but also addictive disorders. And I worked for decades with substance addiction and started seeing the telltale signs of addictive disorders with screens and our, our love affair with screens and what they were doing to, to children, both uh, developmentally, cognitively, uh, emotionally. And so that was book one. And then digital madness was really... Okay, so the the price of admission was addiction, was habituation. Big tech has certainly trapped us all in their cage, in the digital cage, and it's very mm-hmm. sugar-lined. We love the cage that we're trapped in, mm-hmm. but what, what did that habituation lead to? And that's what I talk about more in this next book where I talk about the mental health crisis that we're going through, which is uh, disproportionately affecting young people, higher rates of suicide, anxiety, overdose, uh, depression, which, again, if you look at the uh, generational cohorts from uh, Gen X, from, well, let's go to baby boomers, to Gen X, to millennials, to Gen Z, to, uh, yeah, I'm getting the cohorts correct. The younger the cohorts get, the more mentally unwell they are, the higher rates of psychiatric mm-hmm. disorder. So again, I'm somebody who who can 
read data and the landscape well and i'm you know you scratch your head and you wonder why are our most plugged in the most unwell and then you begin to look at some of the research about what this habituation it's not just that we're habituated or that our and our young ones are more vulnerable to things like now personality disorders and psychiatric issues and and depression the, the big one is depression De depression mm -hmm. and self-harm and the lack of purpose in one's life has been probably the biggest byproduct of this digital love affair what do you think the solution is <laughs> well i'd snap my fingers and we'd go back to an, an earlier time <laughs> i'll go with you <laughs> <laughs> You know, so obviously, as I as you know, I speak a lot of conferences. Obviously, we're not putting the genie back in the bottle, uh, for better or for worse. And no one's proposing that we go Amish unless unless we're we're in a post apocalyptic period and then we may not have any electricity. Mm -hmm. But um, the 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 solution, what I feel, is the countervailing force of this digital habituation because the, what it's done. I use the language of our psychological immune system, um, especially the younger you are. The younger you are. And the more screen uh, immersed you are, the more you compromise your psychological immune system. So our younger people are more vulnerable now towards, they're going through identity issues. And, and, and um, you know, I treat, I have treatment programs around the country. You've seen, you've seen it with teenagers and young adults. They're a much more fragile cohort. They're much more self-harming and reactive. They, they have a much harder time handling life on life's terms. So how do you, we immunize and increase their psychological immune system in this highly toxic age? So that's where I go back to things like the classics. I go back to, you know, immersing oneself in the reading of books and classical philosophy. And I, I use the archetype of the philosopher warrior um, to, to really thrive in this really toxic culture and society that we've created. How do we embrace critical thinking, wisdom, the philosopher? And then the archetype of the warrior, resilience, strength, perseverance, uh, the hero's journey, a sense of purpose in our lives. Uh, so that's helping others and all those other things that we used to do before we, be, we became um, narcissistically uh, belly button staring, um, uh, egocentric uh, people. And, and that's, that's been another byproduct. A lot of young people that I work with are so um, self-absorbed rather than self-reflective because well, the digital statement it's not just the young people there are a lot right. of older people as well that True. have fallen down that rabbit hole right and right. uh right. and it's funny because i'm i'm reminded uh i'm probably you know a little older than both of you uh but i grew up uh i remember a show called you bet your life the original and yep. a uh a duck would come out of the ceiling and the word of the Not day your marks uh, yes, Groucho Marx, narcissism. That's the word of the day because there's so much narcissism uh, going on that my concern, my fear, and this is one of the reasons why I decided to step away uh, from Facebook. Um, a very dear friend of mine passed away uh, mm -hmm. a couple of months ago. And a colleague of mine that I had worked with on a show with him when I reached out to say, did you know that he had passed away? His response was, well, yes, I figured you of all people would know because you're always on Facebook. Well, number one, I'm not always on Facebook. Mm -hmm. And number two, this is a life altering moment. And I feel that we've come to this swipe mentality mm -hmm. where I 
desire for myself to be more than just another item in someone's newsfeed. And I think that that's what's happening with all of us, that we are all becoming items in newsfeeds. And we just move on. And then, you know, we forget about it. And we move on to the next and we move on to the next. And I don't think that we're taking the time to grieve. I don't think that we're taking the time to really connect with one another on a level that we used to. Um, I did, you know, a, a show just a couple of days ago where I was interviewed um, about life in New York in the early night in the late 1970s before we had social media yeah. in terms of how people interacted. And it was a whole different world, of mm -hmm. course, in terms of you, we all remember what it was like. And I wish that we could snap our fingers and go back to that. Well, I think you hit the nail on the head. And you know, we're also going through what, what people are calling a loneliness epidemic, yeah. which is ironic because we're the most connected generation or you know society in the history of humanity. So why are we so lonely? Because the Kool-Aid that we were sold was that this was going to be the great connector, right? That this was going to be... Um, a social media for a social species. This is supposed to be like chocolate and peanut butter. We were supposed to really be thriving in this new uh, generation of connectivity. And in fact, the opposites happen because as I write about in the book, it's counterfeit connection. It's sugar coated fake connection. And it's not connection in the meaningful way that you just mentioned, right? The face to face, like what's really going on with your life. It's not, we're not data points in somebody's feed news feed. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And so it gives us the illusion of connection and yet it's robbing us of genuine connection. So we're all genuine connection starved. But meanwhile, we think we have, you know, a million friends on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. And 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 that's a big part of the problem. Um, Absolutely. Well, I'm going to let you pick your mystery question, one or two, and then we're going to bring on our next guest. And then we're going to have a little uh, fun getting to know each other and celebrating books today. So one or two. Well, Nancy stole my number three, which is my favorite. Number, so I'm, so I'm going to have to, I'll go with the uh, one. And your question is, um, what's your most powerful and vivid memory? Uh, I'm going to go back. What's your most powerful and vivid memory prior to social media? <laughs> well, I, uh, I'm a coma survivor from a few decades ago. And so I have a vi very vivid memory emerging from a coma. And I, I don't want to get into the, 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 the details thereof, but, but that's one of my vivid memories is emerging from that experience. Is that a book that we may see? Uh, I talk about it in uh, well, the first book that I wrote was uh, How Plato and Pythagoras Can Save Your Life. And I, I gave it a chapter in there. I, I don't fully talk about it. In fact, I'm working on a project about that right now. And it does dovetail with New York in the 70s and 80s, by the way. I was uh, a victim of a certain lifestyle in New York in the 70s and 80s that led to uh, certain self-destructive habits that led wow. to that. Well, there was that a lot of that going on. Yep. <laughs> New York was a very different New York when I arrived here. Yep. So, yep. Uh, well, God bless you for surviving and God bless the work you're doing. Uh, and I discovered this uh, wonderful uh, new book. And by the way, uh, everyone who's watching, uh, we're going to do a little uh, giveaway at the end, maybe because there's a little caveat. Uh, Nancy, you, you put a seed in my head today. Uh, so, uh, and I appreciate that seed that you planted. Uh, but I wanna talk about this next book, uh, The Exploits of Minerva.
Reflections of a 60-something Woman. And as I said to our next guest, it may have been written about women, maybe for women, but I'm getting a lot out of this as well as a 60-something man. Uh, first of all, Pamela, welcome to the show. Uh, I'm so thrilled that you're here today. Uh, welcome to our panel. Um, this is a great memoir. Um, it's written um, as a quote-unquote fiction because it, it, it's true, but you've changed the names and everything, but all of the stories in it are based on real life uh, stories. Am I correct on that? That's correct. You okay. are. Um, you know, you, you sit down to write a memoir and, and I want to talk to all of you in a few moments about writing memoirs, but sitting down to write a memoir, why did you personally decide to go that route instead of, you know, you, you put this shield around you, so to speak, um, rather than just telling your story, if you don't mind my asking that question. That's a great question. And I think you're gonna be surprised at my answer, Richard. I started out to write fiction and I thought I was writing fiction. And uh, then when I was, um, when I selected my, I chose my publisher and, uh, and the manuscript reviewer reviewed it and she said, this me part memoir, part self-help guy. And I'm like, didn't she read the, the genre? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm talking to my, I had a publishing coordinator who stick handled my book through the process, but she, her role was not to read the manuscript. Right. And I'm telling her and I'm saying, I don't get it. And I told her about it. And she said, Pam, I think it's creative nonfiction. And I'm like, I didn't even know what that was. Did you hit a button or something? Because all of a sudden, everything's coming a little garbled. Okay, I'll try it. Okay, I think you fixed it. Okay, maybe I moved too far away from the mic. No, that's fine. Thank you for letting me know that. Okay. Anyway, creative nonfiction has a hook and a storyline. Um, so it, it, it presents as, as fiction and draws people in. However, the stories are very real, right? And so what happened is what I did is I chose to interview friends and friends of friends about the various life transitions they'd gone through. And I integrated some of my own in there as well. And then Minerva, if I may, if I'll sh shed some light on her, Minerva was an essence who came to me about 25 years ago when I was riding on a bike path in Ottawa. And I, and I was actually a member of the Ottawa Independent Writers at the time because I, I was planning to not write creatively until I retired. And then I thought, Pam, what are you waiting for? That's just stupid. <laughs> so I joined this group and then I, Minerva came to me and I thought, I don't have time to write about you. I just launched my consulting company. My kids are young. So I shel shelved her. And a couple of years ago, she came back to me and she said, you have to write about me. So that's how Minerva came. And I don't even know about her name, where she, where that came from. But it's all very relevant in terms of the storyline. You know, I'm reminded of one, an episode of Golden Girls uh, in which Blanche's sister writes a, a, a book of fiction. And everyone's trying to figure out which of those characters is based on them. Uh, so... You said you did interview your friends. 
uh, and the people in your circle. And I know that you're part of a book club. They, uh, this, uh, this, well, it's, it's not a book club, but it's a, it, it's a group of women that you meet with on a regular basis. Uh, and were they part of the process as well? Actually, they weren't. I am in a women's circle, and I had to take special training to get into it. Uh, it's it's almost four years ago that I joined because I was quite new to Victoria and I thought it was a way to meet other women outside of my work. And uh, so I used that context and I we do have experiential exercises that we integrate. So then I was able to integrate some of my art of change framework and the work I do with people and organizations around change. So it kind of just naturally fed one to the other. And I know that my experience in a women's circle has been very transformational. So I thought that was an excellent context to use. But no, I did not interview any of the women. And again, that's another piece of the book. It says it's for 20 years, these women have been meeting. Well, I haven't been in in one for 20 years. So I sort of stretch the truth around certain things. However, I have lived experience with them. Well, I love the little biographical backgrounds that you give of each one of them so that we have a real sense of who they all are. Uh, and uh, so what did you learn about yourself from writing this book? And from writing this book, I get the sense that you have reached a point where everything just you know, you just go out and live your life. Uh, my uh, my Alexa just went off. Uh, you know, where you just live your life uh, to the uh, fullest, you know, devil may care. Am I correct on that? I have always, I believe that life is an adventure to be lived to the fullest. And that's been my mantra. That's what I say about Minerva. And really, that's been my life. Uh, if I was in a in a job and I didn't, I wasn't, I get bored quite quickly. I shouldn't say that, but you know, when I used to work for other people in organizations, after about three years, that was my limit. And I'd start to say, mm, what else? And the universe would, would either send me an opportunity or I'd be out somewhere and again, meet somebody and they'd all, yeah. It's like, Pam, you know, do you want to join our consulting group? Okay, sure, I'll do that. <laughs> Leave my really good government job and lose all my pension benefits because I didn't stay for four years or whatever. And likewise, traveling, you know, when 1974, I was going to backpack Europe with a girlfriend. She decided to get married at 20 at the last minute. And I went by myself, like, excuse me, I'm just going to do it, right? Good for you. <laughs> I love hearing that. So I'm going to ask you your mystery question. It's the last one remaining. Um, love this. And it's probably, it's maybe in the book, maybe not. Uh, who was your first love and when? Oh, goodness. <laughs> My first real love, I mean, you, you know, you, you have, when I was, I can remember somebody in kindergarten that I thought was really cute. That's not, that wasn't my first love. <laughs> my first love was when I was in high school and his name was Brian and sadly he was killed in a, in a motor vehicle oh, accident when he was 24, just starting his marine biology career. Um, yeah, he was my first love. That's great. Well, God bless Brian. And uh, so I want to ask each of you, and I'll go back to you, Nancy. Uh, since writing this book, um, what is the biggest or the biggest change that's happened within your circle of friends since this book has come out? Um, you know, it's very interesting. I have a, a friend uh, who has written a book, and she says, no, none of my friends read my book. You know, and I go, they're reading. Trust me, they're reading. What's the biggest change within your own circle 
uh, that has happened since your book has come out? Uh, well, I would say that, you know, my attention has had to shift from writing every day to marketing. Um, and it's, and for me, it's less about marketing to get a large number of books sold. It's about how to really use this as a platform for some of the themes and messages that are in the book and finding ways to do that. So amongst my circle of friends, I think the biggest change is that they're asking me different questions because they know that I've shifted out of the writing mode for the book. And they're no longer saying, you know, how far along are you and what chapter are you on and uh, what pictures are you going to put in the book and that sort of thing. It's more about, well, how many have you sold and uh, how many book clubs have you spoken to and uh, what's that experience like for you? Um, and many of them actually have read it. I'm fortunate. That's great. That's yeah. wonderful. And what about you, Dr. K? Uh, I mean, within your own circle, I mean, with this book, especially, uh, mm -hmm. this is a, a hot topic with so many people. Uh, what is the response that you're getting among your friends? Yeah, I would say amongst my colleagues, you know, it's, it's, it is a hot, you know, it's a, it's a current topic. So amongst colleagues, it's um, yeah. Yeah. I get, I get, you know, leaned on a lot and then it, it you know, we discuss things and I, yeah, you know, but my personal friends, you know, this is the third book that I've written and this was the most challenging by far combination of COVID combination of, I guess it's some family issues that were going on. And so my, the first book, two books I wrote were, you know, finished quickly and it was a joy and I was light on my feet and my friends and, you know, we used to discuss them. This one was a beast to finish. Uh, it, I was physically uh, exhausted afterwards. And so, I, I didn't really want to discuss the book with my friends, quite honestly. I don't want them to discuss anything else except this topic with my <laughs> friends. And I think, you know, because it is so kind of in the ether. And and I think because of, you know, the Glow Kids had some similar topic. They were like, wow, it's amazing that you've written this book and it's spot on. But yeah, how about how about those Mets or, you know, how about how about that movie? And, and I think we kind of purposely, um, amongst my friends, different amongst my professional colleagues. And Pam, what about you in your situation? Well, I just launched my book December the 8th. And then I went to visit my kids and grandkids for about a week just to ask about And so I had, I had a lot of water going up. You're getting the same feedback, Pam. I, I, I did have a virtual launch party and a number of friends from the past and present attended. So that was awesome to support me. And... Um, and my certainly my uh, women's circle, they have supported me as well in terms of purchasing and giving to other friends and colleagues. I have not been to my book club um, for the last couple of months because of my hip replacement surgery. And the next one is I'm hosting on January 17th. So I'll be interested to hear what they have to say because only a few of them responded when I told them I was launching because I hadn't really told them I was writing this book very much. I was sort of keeping it on the, you know. <laughs> so we'll see. So I'm still open to um, the response, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> That's great. Nancy, you, you made me think about something that I want to ask you to do. What is the biggest thing that has surprised you in terms of marketing and promotion when it comes to uh, this book? Um, a lot of people may be surprised at what book publishers do and do not do. Mm -hmm. And a lot, and I do know from many of uh, the authors that I've had on the show, many of my friends that are writers, uh, that a lot of the responsibility truly lies on your shoulders. 
So what is the biggest surprise that you've learned about yourself in terms of getting the message out to uh, the general public about your book? Who is that for? Uh, for you. For me. Well, I, I would say uh, the amount of time it takes um, and how to carve that into my day uh, is something I've had to learn. And it's, and it's different than when you're writing where you can sort of you know, protect several hours in a day. Often for me, that was early morning. But this has to be kind of all over the place because opportunities come up and you have to be ready to speak. Uh, and I would say in terms of challenges, I thought it would be relatively easy to get books into public libraries. Um, but that actually takes a tremendous amount of work. Yes. It's something I feel is really important and I've worked hard at it, but every single library has to be approached individually, basically. I've had some success, but um, so I, I guess part of what I'm learning about myself is that I'm still a pretty tenacious person, even though I'm a, now a 70 something person. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Dr. K, same question. Again, I'm going to contrast it with uh, my last book and this book. When I wrote Glow Kids in 2016, I was, um, sort of, you know, my first book about philosophy, you know, died a slow death on the, on the shelf. Not a lot of people wanted to read a book about Plato and Pythagoras. And when I wrote Glow Kids, um, I sort of caught lightning in the bottle because the mm -hmm. timing was right about screen effects and, um, and my publisher had wanted me to write a couple of op-eds at the time to kind of cross-promote the book. And I wrote an, an op-ed for the New York Post called Digital Heroin, which went viral and got a lot of attention and got me on a lot, a lot of national news shows, Good Morning America and, and you know, CNN and a lot of shows to, to actually debate this idea that is it possible that our devices can be habit-forming, which was a new idea six years ago. So there was a lot of synergistic media that happened and events that happened and and um, and I was much more willing to do that and for some reason I don't know if I've as I've aged with this particular book I've written this book and I'm sort of leaning back from it um, there have been some good nice media opportunities but I'm being a little bit more um, organic about how this is going to unfold mm -hmm. my publishers wanted me to do more things you know and say I relate to what you're saying but I've been a little bit resistant to beat the drum as much I've you know I didn't and because my book is sort of against social media and so much of the networking is, you know, I'm not on Instagram. I'm not on, I'm not on Twitter and I'm, I'm, I am on Facebook just to keep up with old college and high school friends. But um, so I don't, you know, I don't do that game. I'm not an influencer in that sense. Although my glow kids gave me a platform. I have a very strong following of, uh, we call it the mommy mafia that, that do follow me. But, um, but I've sort of just um, sort of let it be more natural this time around. And, mm spend time with my kids actually <laughs> good for you Podcast is really interesting yeah. yes uh pam well this is my second book as well and my first one um learning to dance with life a guide for high achieving women i launched in 2015 and it made number one on amazon when i launched and that was based on having friends who had published previously and having their support on launch day and however i had no strategy to keep it up in the ratings on Amazon. And so this time I went with a different publisher and I had this, I made assumptions and I was actually in some ways disappointed because I expected certain things out of the publisher that didn't happen. Um, I'm happy with the product. So it's interesting, the diversity among different publishers, it's not always same, same, same. Mm -hmm. And I, I knew from the get go, if I didn't choose a marketing package, I would have to do it on my own. 
Um, I love, you know, business is all about experimenting. And my first um, book I launched at a winery and I had a coaching client who was co-owner of this winery who was across, around the corner from where I lived. And so I had um, I had a wine, women and, and words book party. The reason I'm, I'm saying this, and, and it was over a hundred women, that's all that, that, that they could accommodate and it was interactive, right? So this time I went totally different and did a virtual one, which was fun, not as many people. So I'm constantly learning and growing from it. But like Nancy and Nicholas said, I am all about connection. And I also run a nonprofit that I feel very strongly about what we're doing. And for me, when I look at growing that nonprofit, it's not so much the social media, even though it's a national nonprofit, that attracts the people. It's more the connections, people talking to people, coming to events, getting a feeling of the vibe. So I really feel like there may we there may there will be some changes I think in terms of how we market moving forward, but uh, I know Nancy does a lot of work with book clubs. Who knows? Maybe that's the way for me to to go as well. So anyway, I think it's I I think it's kind of the dawn of a new era in terms of marketing, and we need to look at new ways where we feel more interested in doing it. And it's not just about the numbers; it's about connecting with the folks and getting real reviews from people. Mm -hmm. uh, I think COVID has mixed it all up for everybody anyhow, right? Yeah. Well, you've just given me my next question. So, <laughs> Nancy, how has COVID helped you and how has it hurt you? I mean, it's really thrown a monkey wrench into the way everyone does business. And I'm sure that the book industry is uh, in a, a topsy-turvy world right now mm -hmm. uh, because of COVID. Uh, what are the pluses and minuses as far as uh, the timing of your book coming out? Well, I didn't really have any control over the timing because once I, it's a self-published book with Friesen Press. And once we started the contract, then that determined uh, the timing of publication. So who knew, you know, even two days from now, what COVID is going to look like, right? Exactly. <laughs> Never mind eight months from, from when I signed the contract. Um, but I would say that the... Um, you know, a virtual launch, uh, I I did not do. Uh, it was the only kind of launch I could have done, actually. So so maybe I should have, have done that. But I see launch as something that sort of happens over many months as opposed mm -hmm. to being a single event um, and really thought about how to use my network. So I think COVID made me think harder, maybe, um, about and, and be more creative about ways to get the book out there and how to use those networks of connections that I have. Uh, and, uh, and I've learned, you know, not to be disappointed when not everything works the way you expect it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Thank you for that. Uh, Dr. Kay. Yeah. Um, interesting. So yeah, I've worked with the same publisher for the last two books. Am I getting feedback? Are you getting feedback? I'm getting feedback. If there's another window open by anyone, that will cause a little feedback. Is that better? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, my last book was before COVID. This one was post-COVID. And um, it's interesting, even within the same publisher, their, their marketing strategies were different. You know, same publicist, same publisher. And back then, they were doing different things, the way they published it. Quite honestly, like this podcast now, things are so podcast dominated, and that wasn't the thing really um, in 2016. So now a lot of the marketing post COVID is digital and podcast based, and 
which is good. I think this is one of the benefits of obviously the new the new norms and the new realities. We can do things like this, which is obviously beneficial. Um, I used to do a lot of conferences, and a lot of the conferences got either Zoom based, which really weren't as good, and they're just coming out of their their shell right now. You know, so that's that was a big part of my uh, platforming was speaking at mental health and education conferences, and those are just beginning, like I said, to thaw out from the uh, to, from the plague. So. Um, yeah, just different. I think it reflects it reflects the times. But I think the topic of my book is resonant with a lot of people because I do talk quite a bit about how COVID amplified screen dependence, which amplified some of these mental health effects. So it was relevant to what I wrote about. This is why our many of our kids were not just losing grade level, but they were losing their minds and they were getting more and more unwell, you know, post COVID because of a year and a half of Zoom schooling and everything else that happened. Yeah, physical activity dropped. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, many after effects. Yeah, absolutely. And the question may be a little redundant for you, Pamela, because your book just came out uh, just uh, last month. Uh, but uh, how is this time frame? Is it uh, prohibiting you in any way whatsoever? And I know that you've also had other issues uh, with a new hip. Uh, so... Uh, how has that all come together with you? Well, it's interesting. Um, I originally planned to launch in January. And then I found out my book was on Amazon on October 31st. And I, I found out only about a week after when I understood that from others, what I'd been told that it could take up to six weeks to be on Amazon was told if you didn't launch before before American Thanksgiving to wait till after Christmas. Then about November 7th or whatever it was, when I checked Amazon in a number of markets just for interest, and I saw my book had been on Amazon since October 31st, I thought to myself, this is crazy. I can't have this book sitting there for two and a half months before I launch. So my VA, who's based in South Africa, was actually on vacation. I woke up in the middle of the night. I went downstairs and sat and shut my eyes. And I said, what's the date I'm going to launch? And I got December the 8th. So regardless <laughs> of my publishing buddies who told me, don't do it, then I just thought, okay, I'm going with what I'm getting. And so that's what I did. So we'll see how it goes. I did quite well on launch day. I didn't quite make number one this time. I made number three. Um, but you know what? It was a rustle on because my my VA got back November 16th and we just did it. <laughs> so, so, so writing a book is a lot like giving birth. So Nancy, <laughs> I want to ask you, um, when did you know that the book was ready to let go of? Uh, was this a decision that you made or was it a decision that your editor made or was it a decision that the publisher made? Yeah, if, if uh, this, it, yeah, I'm sorry, Nancy. God, sorry. Was it for Dr. K? No, for you, Nancy. Okay. Uh, it, well, it wasn't a publisher decision. Um, I would say there were several phases of it because I, you know, went through beta reading and so on, um, and so there was different periods when I was making decisions about the next phase and whether or not I was ready to move on to the next phase. Uh, I think you just kind of know in your gut. Um, whether you've got something that is ready and have you just put everything you can into it. Uh, yeah, I think you have to get rid of this idea that a perfect book is possible. I don't think it is. Looking back, there are some things I would still change about that book. And maybe if I make a play, you know, I can uh, incorporate some of those changes in the play. But uh, 
yeah, I just kind of knew. I felt like everything in me had been poured out into the book and that it was really honest. Uh, same question for you, Dr. K. Yeah, so if this was a birthing process, this last book definitely went past term. I mean, there's definitely, <laughs> uh, the baby was kicking. Um, oh my goodness. <laughs> And, and like I said, this was different. You know, my other babies were preemies and this one definitely went, you know, went long. And um, and I kept trying to polish the rock and polish the rock. And part of my problem was I was using a lot of rip from the headlines, recent um, data and stuff that was emerging, you know, both everything about big tech and uh, the Facebook whistleblower. Was, with, OK, so the, this new story would come out that I would have to incorporate into the book. So I kept having, wait, I got to add this piece. And my publisher was getting a little impatient and. Um, it was definitely a situation where, like Nancy said, I used to have a colleague when, um, get, you know, there, there was an old saying, when you get your PhD, there's, there's either, uh, there's perfect PhD, there's perfect dissertations or there's finished dissertations and which one you want to do. And this is what, what happened with this book. Do I want to finish? So I, so at a certain point, you know, I think my wife nudged me and said, just, just finish it. You know, just give you this next Friday will be the last day that you keep polishing this rock. You're not going to revise it anymore. So uh, it, this one was not, like I said, this one was, was a beast for me to finish. It went on. And, and again, there was the COVID cloud. My father had just died and there was, my kids were going crazy with Zoom schooling. So it was, uh, it was challenging. Yeah. Pam? This book, my second book was easier um, to finish and to write than my first one. It just sort of flowed out of me. And um, in terms of finishing, similar to what Nancy said, it's a gut thing. Even I looked at the word count and it wasn't really high, you know, and I'm like, I don't care. It's done. I'm done. <laughs> I'm not working, worried about what externals these people say, you know, ideally your books should be 60,000 words or 25,000 words. I just thought, you know what? This is it. <laughs> <laughs> Put a fork in me, I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> like that, yeah. That's great. Uh, I've got one last question that I'd like to ask each of you. Uh, the, you know, any advice that you would give to anyone out there who's thinking of writing their first book um, or, uh, you know, just, you know, how it begins for each of you. Uh, and we'll go uh, uh, counterclockwise this time. And I'll start with you, Pamela. Advice to give somebody. Um, I would say to take a course from someone about writing. Uh, I, I personally, I'll just give Christine Closer a pitch. Uh, I took her Get, Get Your Book Done program a number of years ago, and it was really helpful because a lot of times what people do is they just start to write, and then they have to scrap it all. So I would recommend finding someone, I won't give too many names, um, who, who can give you some guidance through the process, whether it's a nonfiction or fiction, and also, um, if you have the resources to join a writing incubator to support me, Jen Loudon, I joined the and that's not that helped that helped me for the last three months. And so those are two things. And surround yourself by people who are positive and who will support you. I would also say don't give your beta readers necessarily, don't make them your family members and even really close friends. I didn't go with any beta readers this time. I just thought, you know what? So anyway. Great. Thank right. you. Dr. Great. Great. God, I was going to almost, almost say the opposite. I'm sorry. I was going to say, just start writing, you know, um, <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, for me, it was kind of like that old saying writers write, try to write two pages a day, no matter what. And it might be 
on on the the path of what you eventually the book is, but I think kind of getting into the habit of writing rather than the pre contemplative state of writing where you're going to think about writing. So I would say, you know, if you if there's a book in you, I would say, you know, look, as a therapist, we do a whole. I used to have a, a memoir uh, therapy group where it was just just mm -hmm. as a forget publishing, it was just as a therapy process. Write your story. It was narrative therapy, and and so and out of that, you know, oftentimes books can emerge and ideas can emerge. So I would just I would kind of say, just start putting pen to paper, or click to clack, or whatever you want to say digitally, and. <laughs> and start creating and then see what flows from there organically, but probably not a bad idea to then, you know, at some point get some guidance and some professional uh, intervention at some point. Um, and, and to not be discouraged, you know, the climate seems can seem overwhelming at times to just have kind of stay true to yourself and just kind of keep leaning forward and leaning forward. And uh, the process is starts, what do they say? Each journey starts with the fir first step, right? That's so right. just keep taking one step after the other. Yes, thank you for that. Uh, Nancy? I would say join a writing group for sure. Uh, I joined one at the public library. I didn't know any of them. None of them were writing memoirs, but having a group that I went to every single week where I committed to reading something, even if it was only a paragraph, um, even if it was only something I was really stuck on, really helped. It propelled me along. Um, I created my own writing group as well by reaching out to former CUSA volunteers and inviting them anyone writing a memoir if they'd like to meet with me. And I'm still meeting with two CUSA volunteers uh, who have both written memoirs. And now we're talking about marketing. That's been really helpful. Uh, and I would say um, perhaps very similar to you, Dr. K, you know, sit down and start writing. I mean, you can, you can write the first page by just writing title and your name, and then you're on a page two already. So, but <laughs> But it is a process um, and it's uh, something you have to keep working at it. There's a writing muscle, I believe, and it does get easier and easier as you go. And you don't have to worry about starting at the beginning and trying to work your way to the end. Write whatever it is that is moving you that day. It may be mm -hmm. a, you know, a, a nightmare you've had or a conversation you've had and you feel compelled to write something and whether or not it ends up somewhere in the book doesn't really matter. Um, maybe it will, maybe it won't, but it's still propelling you along and helping you to think. Writing is a process. Well, uh, I want to thank you all for being here today. Uh, don't go anywhere for a moment. Uh, I want to bring up, once again, these are the three books, not one, not even one, uh, by Nancy uh, Christine Edwards, uh, The Exploits of Minerva, and now we know all about where Minerva came from. <laughs> uh, and of course, Digital Madness. These are, you know, three amazing books. Uh, I'm gonna give my closing uh, comments and then I'm gonna give each of you a chance to give your closing comments. It can be about anything that we talked about today that you want to expound upon, anything that we didn't talk about that you wish we had, or just any final message that you wanna leave everyone with today. Um, I was going to give away three books today. Uh, and I'm going to sit on those books because Nancy gave me a wonderful idea. What I would like anyone out there who is interested in getting a book, this is all you need to do. Reach out to me and tell me that you have a book group or that you belong to a book group and choose any of these three titles that you would like your book group to have a chance to read and talk about. And I may even reach out to one of these three authors, and if they're available, they may even come and speak to your book group. I'm not making any promises. I'm just saying they, they might do that virtually, of course. So 
Uh, but just reach out to me if you're interested in any of these three titles. All of the information will be on my YouTube channel. Uh, so make sure that you do this. Um, Book Blitz Month was created because uh, people were stopped, uh, people stopped reading. Um, digital Madness, get your kids off of their computer screens and get them back into the pages of a good book. Um, they'll thank you later on for it. You know, Laura Coates, who is one of my favorite pundits on CNN, she was on uh, the uh, Bill Maher show a few months ago, and she has two teenage kids, and uh, neither one of them have laptops or computers or, uh, you know, any devices. And Bill Maher said, you know, when they're screaming at you that all of their peers and their friends do, what do you say to them? And she said, she says to them, you can take it up with me in therapy 30 years from now. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> she is really in control of what her kids are doing. And she's going to love her for it. Uh, you know, please, please be aware of what your kids are doing on social media and what is coming at them on social media because it's a two-way street. And this book, again, Dr. K, thank you. Uh, I'm loving uh, learning about Minerva. And Nancy, I can't wait for your book to arrive. It's on its way uh, from Amazon. Uh, I end all of my shows by telling everyone to go out and do something nice for somebody else without expecting anything in return. Reach out to somebody that you haven't spoken to in a while and reach out with a phone call. Not an email message, not a text message, not a private inbox message, a phone call. And let that person know what they mean. Talk about your favorite book and what that book means between the two of you. Uh, but whatever it is, reach out. There's nothing like human connection. I have a dear friend who says we're all in this together, but we're not in the same boat. Another friend sent me a meme and he said, we're all in the storm together, but we're in different boats. Some are on yachts, some are in rafts, some are in canoes, uh, some are in kayaks, some are pushing tugboats upstream. I don't care what size boat you're on, just make sure that if you're on a boat, you have a skipper by your side. That's all I have to say. So I'm going to look at the screen. Nancy, I'm going to turn it over to you. When you finish, you'll turn it over to the person of your choice. And then the last person, when you say goodbye, the final credits will roll. Everyone, make it a great week. It's all in your hands. And um, go out and read a good book. There are three that you can choose from right here. Thank you, and have a great tomorrow. Nancy, it's all yours. Well, thank you for the opportunity to join you today. I think my message would be that we're, I think we're all challenged as we look around the world and see what's happening, whether it be the war in Ukraine or the famine in um, Africa, or you, you pick the topic. There's just so many difficulties. And I, I would encourage you to, to read books that are hopeful um, and that uh, find ways to talk about the depths of strength and resilience that exist in communities to make a difference. Uh, I hope my book is one of those, uh, and I would be pleased to discuss it with uh, anyone who's interested. Uh, we all need to live like seriously, and I think uh, reading books is one way to get there. I'll turn it over to Pamela. Thanks, Nancy. 
Thank you, Richard, for gathering us together here. It's been really fun and great to meet some new folks and learn more about some interesting books that are that I'm going to read. Um, my message is, if you feel like you've got a book in you, go for it. Believe in yourself and know that you can be the change that you want to see in the world. We need people to believe in themselves more than ever today. And if you can find some friends and some colleagues or an organization that is in alignment with your mission, vision, and values, go for it and join them. I really encourage you to connect with like-minded souls who will support you in whatever you want to do. Unmute. Uh, yeah. And thank you all. Richard, thank you for having me on the show. I think I want to echo your message about leaning into kindness with other people. I think we're, you know, it's... It's really been uh, a surreal time, I think, that we're all living through. Uh, these are difficult and new uncharted waters, I think, for uh, us as a society, as for people individually. There's, uh, these are strange days. And so we really, I think, need each other more than ever, more than ever before. We have to lean into our humanity and our compassion, in spite of some of the forces that are working uh, potentially against us. And, and, uh, and I would leave it with that. Lean into kindness and your, your humanity. Thanks. Thanks.